1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse number 4. And I think this will be a familiar story. This is a story of David, and we're going to be going through his life uh, this morning. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, verse number 4, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, because he's a prophet. People were scared of prophets back in these days. And said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come uh, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is the oldest of Jesse's sons. His name was Eliab. And Samuel looks at him and says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely this is the guy that God wants to be the next king. But the Lord said unto Samuel, This is a very important verse. Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. And those of you that are short like me, you're you're thankful that God said something like that. Don't look on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. That's what the second son of Jesse. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by his third son, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. He's not here right now with me. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Okay, this story is a very important story, and this week we're tackling a very important question, a very big question, perhaps one of the biggest questions we could ask in uh, the Christian life as Christians. So the question is, how do we become a man or woman of God? How do we become, and this is, this is terribly practical to our lives this morning, and you'll see that as we go along. So the question is, and this is one of the most important questions of the Christian life, is how do I become a man or woman that follows God, that wants and desires God? How do I become a man or woman that desires to follow in God's footsteps? How do I follow Jesus in my own life? How do I become a person that has the heart of God? How do we become individuals who follow after God before all else and above all others? Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm here at church this morning. I already follow after God. Why do I need this? No, 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 I'm not talking about half-heartedly following God. I'm not talking about following God perhaps just on a Sunday, as important as it is to be at church on a Sunday. I'm talking about wholeheartedly following God. If you think through uh, the Independence Day that we're going to be celebrating in a couple days, those weren't a bunch of individuals who fought for America's independence half-heartedly, right? They put their whole heart into it. They sacrificed everything to, uh, to get and to, to achieve America's independence. They put everything into it. That's why we have uh, Independence Day with uh, a show of fireworks, right? The fireworks represent, I was just thinking of this last night, the fireworks represent the bombs that were going off and all the things that were happening, all the people, all the blood that was being shed, all the people that were dying and all the things, all the, 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 the guns that were going off. That's what all those, those fireworks represent, all the chaos and all the, all the death and bloodshed, really, of uh, Independence Day, of our independence as a nation. These are people who gave everything so that they could 
buy our independence, so they could purchase our freedom as, as Americans. And so when we come to this story, we see that David was kind of like that. He was a guy who, when he went into something, he went wholeheartedly into something, not half-heartedly. Not the way we watch cartoons with our kids, uh, having watched the same cartoon ten times over in a row, and we have to act like we're excited about it, even though we're, we're not really excited about it. You guys ever know this, when, when you're, you're in a relationship, you have to apologize sometimes, and you don't really feel like you're the one who has to apologize, but you know if you apologize, it'll be like the right thing to do in the relationship, so you give a half-hearted apology. Like, I'm sorry that you feel offended, which is an apology, like, right, that's not an apology, that's like, it's like you getting out of an apology, but still saying the word apology, I apologize for this, I apologize, you know, that, that's, that's half-hearted, right? Half-hearted is when we have to pay our bills on a weekly or monthly basis. We never go up to our bill collector and we say, I'm so thankful for you, God bless everything you do for me and my family, why? Because, because we don't like them, so we, 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 we're half-hearted about it. We only give when we have to give. That's not the life of David. The life of David was a life marked by wholehearted devotion to God. So how do we put that into practice into our own life? How do we uh, uh, assimilate that kind of idea? We know this because God says that David was a man after his own heart. You see this? Acts chapter 13, verse number 22. God says that David was a man after his own heart. And when he had removed him, removed the king Saul, he raised up unto them David. He, removed, he raised up unto Israel King David, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, watch this, a man after mine own heart which shall fulfill all my will. So God, even, God makes a statement about David. He makes about no one else in the entire Bible. He makes a statement saying, this one man, this one individual has my own heart. He has a heart after me. God makes this statement about David that he makes about no one else. How did David become a man that followed after God? So let me give you some context. Let's start at the beginning. The people of Israel had gone hundreds of years without a king. Maybe you guys know this story. Maybe you don't. That's fine. The, the, the people of Israel had gone hundreds of years, over 400 years, without a king. During this time, they were led by uh, what the Bible calls judges. These are individuals that God erected, and these judges would kind of, they would be in God's place, and they would lead the nation even though there was no king. Finally, the nation of Israel came to a point where they looked around at all the other nations of the world, and they said, how come we're not like all the other nations? God, or they spoke to Samuel and the prophet Samuel, and they said, we want a king like all the other nations. And God said through Samuel to the people of Israel, uh, Israel, he said, you guys really don't want a king. You think you want a king, but you really don't. You know what a king means? If we set up and we establish a king, you know what a king means? It means big government. It means big taxes. It means big bureaucracy. It means that they're going to take all of your sons and they're going to conscript them into the army. They're going to take your daughters and make them to work in the king's kitchens and in the king's palaces and do the king's work. You guys don't want a king. You really don't, God was saying to these people. But they said, no, 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 we want a king. We do we want a king. God said, okay. So the prophet Samuel finds for them a king, a man named Saul. This is a man, the Bible says, who was head and shoulders above all the other men in Israel. That means he was at least, oh, I don't know, a good foot taller than every other man in the kingdom. This guy looked like a king. He was kingly. He acted like a king. He had the leadership qualities of a king. And so prophet Samuel said, this is going to be your king. And he was a good king for a while. And then he started to disobey God. He started to do things that weren't good. He started to break down his, his leadership. And he became childish and disobedient. Many times he disobeyed God repeatedly. Finally, God said, that's enough. I'm done with you, Saul. I'm going to bring a new king into Israel. So God sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse in Bethlehem. 
And Bethlehem is an important place because that's where Jesus is born. It's kind of a, a foreshadowing, kind of a cool little image there. But he sends Samuel to, uh, the, the son, uh, to, to Jesse to seek out all of his sons. And so he goes over there and he has all the sons of Jesse line up except for one. And so the prophet Samuel, he comes to the first son of Jesse, and he, he sees his, uh, his first son, Eliab, is his name. And he says, this is, a, this is a big guy. This is a guy that could be a king, Samuel says. And he says, man, this is the guy. Surely God is going to choose this guy to be king. In verse number seven, you see it's so important what God says about this son, Eliab. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So Samuel says, surely this is the guy. He's huge. He's big. I mean, this is, this is a leaderly kind of guy. God says, no, 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 no. Samuel, you're looking at the wrong thing. You see, all people look at the outward. They see what's on the outside. They see all the, 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 the exterior things. God's saying, I don't see people like that. I see people from the inside out. I don't see people from the outside in. I see what's in the heart. I see what's on the inside. I see who they really are. I see their character. I see who they are with me. And so all the seven sons, they go up before Samuel, and Samuel is told by God to deny all the seven sons. And then Samuel goes to the the father, Jesse, says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, yeah, I have one left. But he's not really that important. He's just the runt of the family. He's the shepherd of the family. He's not even here with us right now. But I suppose we can go call him if you want us to. Samuel says, yeah, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to eat. We're not going to sit down until you bring him in. They bring David in, this young boy. He doesn't look like a king. They said he's a handsome young man, but that's not really a kingly kind of quality. He says he's just a young man. He's not really tall. He's kind of unassuming. He's not really that great of a person. And David is, or Samuel is told by God, David is the man. David is the guy. I want to be the next king. So he anoints David to be the next king of Israel. So why did God choose David over all the other seven boys when David, he, his own father didn't even bother to bring him to the gathering? That's how worthless, that's how unkingly he thought he would be. Yet God chooses him. And I'll tell you why. Because God doesn't see the outside. He saw the heart of David. He saw who David really was. He's not tall in stature but he's tall in character. He's not a big man, but he's big with God. He's sincere. He has character. He is someone. You see, the one thing that motivated God to choose David was his heart. We saw the sincerity. He saw the desire to follow God. It didn't matter how, uh, how big or small he was. It didn't matter how young or old he was. It didn't matter how educated or uneducated he was. It didn't matter how rich or how poor he was. The one thing that God cared about was his heart. Who are you, David, on the inside? You see, we cultivate a heart for God from the inside out. Following after God starts on the inside. It starts in the heart. The successful, fruitful Christian lives life from the inside out. That's how we ought to live. And so I brought with me something that might help us understand this idea this morning. I have with me some, uh, some fruits. And yes, I looked it up. Guacamole or avocado is a fruit. Some of you guys knew that. Avocado is a fruit. Okay. This is the millennial fruit right here. Avocado toast, sprinkled with a little tomato, diced tomato with some black pepper on it, a little bit of salt. That's it right there. Okay, but here's what I want to show you. These fruits, they, um, I want to show you how they, uh, what they look like on the inside. Why these fruits are so important. I have with me an apple. I assume this is probably a Honeycrisp apple, which is the only kind of good apple. 
If you guys have never tried a Honeycrisp apple, you've got to try one of these. They're free. Okay. So these are these are the best apples. I don't want to stab myself. So. So you know what's on the inside. You guys know what's on the inside of these apples, right? The seeds. The seeds are on the inside. If I was to open up this avocado, and I won't because I'm a millennial and I don't want to waste all the good avocado and guacamole potential, uh, I'm going to just tell you that inside this, this avocado is a big, big uh, seed. It's a stone fruit, I suppose. Uh, it's a big old seed. Inside this apple, there's a bunch of seeds. You know why this is important? Because this apple grows. It starts as a little tree. The, the entire apple tree starts as this little guy right here. And from this little guy right here, you get the entire tree. From this seed, you get the apple. It grows from the inside out. It doesn't grow from the outside in. It doesn't just all of a sudden pop on the tree this big. It starts off as a little small piece of fruit and it grows into what you now see. It starts very small. It starts growing from the inside out. This avocado, it starts from the inside out. You know what God is saying? Just as it works in nature, just as it works with fruit, you are going to grow in your Christian life from the inside out. Who are you with God? Who are you to God? What is your relationship with God like? That is the beginning. That's the starting point. That's the, the core, the seed of where we grow as Christians. God doesn't want to conform us. He wants to transform us. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to conform us. He doesn't want to just shape you to look good on the outside. He wants to transform us. He wants to make a difference inside of you. One is outward. You see, to conform is outward. To transform is inward. To conform is superficial. To transform is sincere. The Christian life is not about ritual. It's not about reputation. It's not about religion. It's not about reward. Fundamentally, Christianity is about relationship. The fundamental message of Christianity is that you can't perform your way to God. You can't work your way to God. You can't do your way to God. The entire message of Jesus is that he came to earth, that in, in, he created in us a heart transformation. Only a heart transformation can make us right with God and can reconcile us to God. Faith alone makes us a child of God, and faith begins in the heart. That is where it starts. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved. How? Through works? No, through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not of us. We can't make ourselves look good enough on the outside. We can't perform enough in our life to be accepted by God. God said, I've already performed for you. I've already done everything that needs to be done. And that transformation starts on the inside. It's not of, faith, uh, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a transformation of the heart. And that transformation is initiated by God from the inside out. Just as it is in salvation, so it is going forward in the Christian life. See, God transformed us the moment we trusted Christ from the inside out. But as, of, as Christians, as believers, as uh, individuals who want to move forward in our life, the same thing applies. We move forward in our Christian life from the inside out. A heart for God is not about good performance. It's about God's presence. It's not about good perform performance. It's about God's presence. David understood this. You see this in Psalm chapter 63. David actually wrote this psalm, and he's the one speaking here. He says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He says, 
I'm seeking your presence. Before all else in my life, what I want is your presence. David was a man after God's heart, not because he was the strongest, not because he was the most influential, not because he was the most religious or the most successful. He was a man after God because he was constantly in the presence of God and constantly trying to be in the presence of God. If there is one thing that we need today, it is to be in the presence of God. If there's one thing, the great pursuit of our life should be the pursuit of God's presence. In all things and in all places, make God's presence your passion. Make God's presence your passion. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, seek God's presence. Make that the pursuit in the passion of your heart. You guys all know how this works. You guys know what this looks like and what it looks like in a person's life because I'm sure all of you from one time or another or perhaps right now, you've been in a relationship and if some of you, maybe this is going way back, you just remember the first time you had feelings for a man or a woman or a young, a young girl. You're, remember the first time you got into a relationship and it's just exciting. It's brand new. Everything's great, Right? And you can't, you can't wait to talk to each other. You can't wait to spend time with each other. And I used to think this was the cheesiest thing growing up until it actually happened to me, and I realized that I'm just like everybody else. And that's this, where you get yourself a girlfriend or, or a boyfriend, and you talk on the phone. And back in the day, we, had, we didn't have cell phones like you have now. I'm dating myself. I realized that. But back in the day, we didn't have cell phones. You just had the landline with the cord attached. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I am that old. And so we would talk to, I would talk to the, the girls and, or, or, or whoever it was, and, and you would say, and, and we all see this on the movies, and we never think it would happen to us, but it all happens to all of us. We say, okay, I need to get off the phone now. It's getting late, right? And that other, the, the, whoever's on the other side of the line says, yeah, I need to get off the phone. You say, okay, okay, bye. And she says, okay, bye. And nothing happens, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. This is cheesy. We're at church. You guys can admit it. You guys all did. We all did this, right? Okay, you get off the phone. No, 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 you get off the phone. No, you get off first. No, you get off first. Well, no, 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 I can't because I love you the most. No, 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 I love you the most, so you have to get off the phone first. No, no, you have to, and you go through this, this stupid, cheesy charade for, for, for minutes on, and finally your parents get mad and say, shut up, and they tell you that you have to go to bed then. You know what you're doing there? You're pursuing the other person you're just seeking to be in that person's presence. That's all you want. You're just, man, you're, you're trying to spend time with that person. You know what God is saying? I want you to seek my presence. I just want you to spend time with me. I just want you to be in my presence. I want you to seek me. I don't know what you think of when you think of a Christian life, but this, but that is what it should look like to you. To have a heart for God is to seek God, to pursue him. It's desire to be in his presence. Pursue God's presence. Just to be in his presence. That ought to be the great pursuit of the Christian life life. Wherever David was, whatever David was doing, he was always seeking God's presence. As he, as he stared down Goliath, he was seeking God's presence. As he uh, went to the throne of Israel as the king, he was seeking God's presence. As he uh, wanted to build a temple for God, he was seeking God's presence. Even as he fell into sin, it was a desire for God's presence that brought him out of it. You see, in everything we do, for David, it was always only about God's presence. We need to make our life Always only about God's presence. At your workplace, seek God's presence. At your home, seek God's presence. At your uh, church, seek God's presence. While you're serving, while you're giving, while you're going about your day, seek God's presence. When you're in your car, seek God's presence. When you're with your spouse, seek God's presence in that relationship. Everywhere you are, seek God's presence. When you stumble or sin, even in those times, seek God's presence. You've fallen down, okay, fine, seek God's presence. You know what your marriage needs? 
and needs God's presence. You know what your home needs and needs God's presence. You know what your children need and need, they need God's presence. In every part of our life, find God's presence, seek God's presence. You know we find excuses not to pray? We find excuses not to read his word. Isn't it so easy to just skip your prayer time? Isn't it so easy to just stuff gets in your day and you can't read your Bible anymore? Those who seek God switch the direction of excuses. You see, a lot of times in our life, we see the excuse not to go to church. We see the excuse, oh, I can't spend time in prayer. We have this excuse. A person who's seeking God's presence, they switch the, they switch the direction of the excuses. They say, I'm going to make every excuse to go to church. I'm going to make every excuse to stand before God in prayer. I'm going to make every excuse to open up his word. I can't do that. Sorry, guys. I got to, re- I, I got to spend time in God's word. Sorry, I, 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 I'm just making excuses after excuses after excuses to be with God, to seek his presence. Find an excuse to pray. Find an excuse to read his word. Find an excuse to worship at church. Discuss his word at Bible study. You know, what I'm doing right now is um, intermittent fasting. I don't know if you guys ever heard this. Diet is what it is. And uh, intermittent fasting is where you, you, you choose a portion of your day that you're not going to eat. And you can only eat for a certain time period. So say you decide to eat for eight hours a day. This is what they say. This is the least amount. You should eat eight hours a day in the next what, 16, that you, you don't eat at all. And this is, this is kind of a, a diet way. This is get your blood sugar low, make you healthy, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, fine. What, what could it hurt? I'm gonna, I'll do this. You know what happens by the end of the evening? Because I do like five hours, six hours throughout, only six hour chunk of the day I eat. And the rest of the day, I'm not eating. You know what happens by the end of the evening? Because I, I eat early in the morning. By the end of the evening, my mind starts playing tricks on me. I start thinking about food. I start scrolling through Facebook, and it seems like the only thing on there is food stuff. I, start, I, I go through the cupboard. I open it up. Why? I don't know. I can't eat. I open it up. I look at all the food. I close it. I think of food. My mouth starts watering. And I get, it, it affects me so much that I go onto my big screen at home. I turn on the TV. I turn on YouTube, and I start w- watching cooking tutorials. I'm telling you, there's a great cooking tutorial called Amazon Kitchen. It's just, it's amazing. And I start watching these videos before I go to bed. Oh, it changes my mood. I am just, I want, I want food. I start getting grumpy. I start getting mad. I kick the cat. I just want food so bad. And it just, it's, it's consuming my thoughts. I can't wait to go to bed because at least then I won't have to think about food. You know what God's saying? I want that to be you. I want you to think about me all the time. I want it to change your mood. I want it to affect your life. I want it to affect your thoughts. I want it to affect your interactions with people. I want it to affect your marriage. I want it to inspire you to move forward. I want you to always think about me. Consciously, consciously fix the attention of your mind and your, the affection of your heart on God. Consciously fix the affection of your heart on Jesus Christ. You see, A.W. Tozer once said, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. The man who has God for his treasure has all things. What does that mean? It means that when you seek God's presence, you will receive God's power. When you seek God's presence, you will receive God's peace. When you seek God, you will find all you need is in him. When you seek God and you find God, you'll see that everything you've ever needed is in Jesus Christ. It's not in money. It's not in the pursuit of things. It's not in the pursuit of relationships. Everything you need is in Jesus Christ. Pursue him and you have everything you need. You see, that's what this is talking. The power you receive comes from the presence you seek. 
What does that mean? It means when you seek the presence of money, you'll receive all the peace that money has to offer, which is to say, not enough. You see, when you, when you seek the presence of things, you'll receive all the happiness that things have to offer, which is very little. But when you seek the presence of God, you'll receive all that God has to offer, which is to say, everything. He has everything to offer. When you seek things, don't be surprised when you have little joy because that is all it has to give. When you seek the presence of God, do not be surprised when you experience abundant joy because he is the source of all of it. He is exactly what you need. Don't get so caught up with the cares of this world that you seek from it things that only God can give you. Don't get so caught up with the cares of this world that you start searching for peace from this world when the world can never give you peace. It can't give you peace. Only God can give it to you. When you seek the presence of God, uh, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, when you seek the presence of God, you will find him and with him everything else. You know what David said in Psalm chapter 34? He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed uh, is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, taste and see. He's, he's telling us, he's almost tempting us. He's saying, prove God. Come and taste it. Just see whether you will like it or not. Oh, see, taste and see that the Lord is good. God says, try me. Experience my presence. Taste of who I am and what I have for you and see that I am everything you seek. Everything that you seek in money, God is the one who's going to give it to you. Everything you seek in relationships, God is the one who can give you everything you seek from that. Everything, everything that we go to in this life that we seek peace from, we seek happiness from, we seek the absence of war, we seek to get rid of our anxiety, we seek to get rid of our fear from all the different things in this world, God says, I am the only person that could give you what you need from all of these things. God's presence is what we need. You see this, look at, we continue. This happened to David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is a great story in the life of David. David was greatly distressed. For all the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. That's very key. We'll get to why. David inquired at the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? He answered, pursue, for thou shalt overtake them and without fail cover all. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating, drinking, dancing, because all that great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines. They had this. So what's going on here? So David, later on in his life, years later in his life, he is with his uh, friends who had, and it was kind of like a little mini army, like a militia almost. He was with all of his friends, and he was living as an exile out of uh, Israel at this time in one of the Canaanite lands. And so he goes from whatever he's doing, he goes to his home city where him and the families of all his men lived, and his families lived. And he goes there, and he sees that it's burnt down, it's destroyed. The city's completely empty. All of the, the people in the land, all the people in the city, all the, uh, the resources, all of it was taken out of the city. The only thing left was David and his men. All of his family, his wife, everything, everything, all, all of it, everything was gone. He had lost, in one fell swoop, everything in his entire life, everything that was important to him. It was so bad, his own men were thinking about stoning him. Say, David, he's the one who got us into this. We should get rid of him right now. So what does David do? The Bible says he encourages himself in the Lord. He does the only thing he can do. He goes to God. He goes to the priest. He says, I want to talk to God. He talks to God, and he asks him, what shall I do about this situation? God says, pursue after your family. Pursue after the families of your men, and you will without doubt recover everything that you lost. And so that's what he does. And he recovers everything that he lost. What, what, what changed? What was it that made the difference in David's life there? 
to what, what's, what's the important point? What's the important principle from this story in David's life? David, at one, he's at probably the lowest point in his entire life. Maybe there might be one other point where he's lower. This is one of the lowest points in David's life. What made the change? He comes before God. He says, what do I do? He seeks God's presence, number one. He says, what do I do? God says, go and recover all. Go to them. No one will be harmed. And after he leaves the presence of God, the entire direction of his life changes. You see, he goes and he seeks God's presence. After he seeks God's presence, it changes his performance. He was about to be stoned. He was about to be uh, not the guy that was going to be in charge of the army. He was about to be the guy that was just probably going to kill himself. After he meets God, everything changes. After he seeks the presence of God, the direction of his life changes. The attitude changes. And not just his attitude, but his actions change. You seek the presence of God and it will change your performance. God's presence changes our performance. This one encounter with God changed everything. It's from this one encounter, David encourages himself, receives direction from God, and recovers everything that was lost. God's presence encouraged David, yes, but it also moved him to action. You see, God's presence didn't just change David's attitude, it changed his actions. God's presence will change our attitude as well as our actions. God's presence changes our performance. You see, if something happens on the inside, guess what's going to happen? It's going to change what happens on the outside. If something changes in here, it's going to come out on the outside. When God does something, when we seek God's presence, it's going to change the way we live. It's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the way we act. It's going to change the way we interact with people. Our relationship with God ought to create a reaction. Our relationship with God ought to be an explosion that disrupts more than just our heart, more than just our thoughts. What Jesus has done in our heart ought to be the combustion that moves every other part of our life. If God has truly truly transformed our heart, if he's truly changed our heart, it ought to change every other part of our life. It ought to come out. It ought to bubble out of our soul, bubble out of our life. Those who have truly met God and experienced his presence will have a transformed life. Not just a transformed heart, but a transformed life. The believer who lives the life he's always lived, talks the way he's always talked, behaved the way he's always behaved, has not experienced the beautiful destruction of God's presence. You see, if we've received God's presence, it's going to destroy things in our heart. It's going to break down things in our life, and then he's going to remake us into his image. You see, God isn't trying to bend you to his will. He's trying to remake you into his image. That's what God is trying to do. So some of you guys probably know this. This is how I picture it in my own mind. What God does when we seek God's presence, it changes our performance Picture it like this. You see inside of a car. I don't know much about cars, so I had to Google this, actually. And I see a bunch of pictures of cars, and I see what actually makes a car move is the fuel is brought into, this is a general idea, so don't, some of you guys know that's not how it works, Pastor Dom. That's not, so I'm just giving you the general idea, okay? What happens is the fuel, it goes into the engine, and it goes into the pistons, and it creates this little explosion, 
I know this is a very, very juvenile way of explaining it. This is, it creates this little explosion, right? And this little explosion, uh, it, it forces the pistons to move. And these pistons create other things to move. And it, these, those things create other things to move. Finally, you have your tires moving. The, the entire car moves because of this explosion that happens in the heart of this car, in the heart of the engine. This combustion happens. And from this combustion that happens on the inside, it makes everything else move. It makes the car drive. It makes the car animate so that it can move people from point A to point B. You don't see the explosion happening in, in this car. You don't see it. It goes unseen, but you see the result of the explosion happening. You see, God is saying, if something has happened, if God's really exploded into your life, if he's really transformed your soul, if he's really done something in you, it, you're not going to always see it on the inside, but you're going to eventually see it on the outside because God's presence always changes our performance. You see, your performance ought to be a product of God's presence. God's presence in our life is what gives us the opportunity to say, I am not the man I used to be. I am not the woman I used to be. God's, God's uh, work in our life, God's, God's presence in our life is what, ought to, what we, have, we, have to, we ought to be able to say, I'm not the person I used to be. I don't talk the way I used to talk. I don't think the way I used to think. I don't treat her the way I used to treat her. I don't treat him the way I used to treat him. Everything is different in my life because God has changed my heart. And when he changed my heart, he changed everything else. What God has done in my heart can be seen in my life. You see, Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what God wants. He doesn't want to conform you. Again, he doesn't want to bend you to his will. He wants to remake you into his image. This, this is what God wants to do. This is the, the destruction of God's presence in our life. God's presence is what gives us a heart for God. But I want to show you what our ultimate goal should be when we come into God's presence. And this is, as, as, as American Christians, this might be the most difficult idea to grasp. You see this in Psalm chapter 84. Again, this is David writing this. He says, my soul longeth, yea. He says, my soul longeth. But he says even more than that. Fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. David wrote this psalm, and it reveals to us something very important about the relationship David had with God. He claims, he claims to desire God, to long after him. He can hardly contain his desire. He says, he says my soul longs. No, 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 he doesn't, doesn't even long after. It faints for God. He doesn't say he spoke, he, he, he seeks God's presence for some reward, right? Does he say that here? He doesn't say, I seek God's presence. I, I'm longing after God's presence so that I can get something from God. He says, I'm longing after God's presence, full stop, period. He doesn't add a qualifying remark after that. He doesn't say, I desire God's presence because dot, dot, dot of this or that or this or the other. He says, I desire God's presence. That is it. You know what, you know what I love about this? So why does he seek God? He seeks God for God. He doesn't seek God for stuff. He doesn't seek God for even peace. He doesn't seek God for happiness. He doesn't seek God for you fill in the blank. He seeks God for God alone. A true heart for God will seek God for God, not for what he hopes to get from you ever like vending machines? I think I might have told you guys this idea before. You ever gone up to a vending machine and said, man, that Snickers bar looks good. And you're making sure your wife's not with you so she can't tell you, no, you don't need that. You, know, you go up to that vending machine. 
Your husband's not with you, say, you don't need that. You go up that vending machine, you go, man, I want that Snickers bar. Oh, man, I want that. I want those Cheetos. I want those Takis, or I want that. I need that energy drink right about now. I need that. So you get your wallet out. You put your card in there. You put a dollar in there. You put $2 in there. You, and, and when you put that dollar in there, after you put, and this is the funnest part of vending machines, right? After you put the dollar in there, then you press the button. I don't know why pressing the button is the funnest part of a vending machine. Evidently, it's not to you guys. It is to me. I think it's the funnest part of the vending machine. You press B4. Boom. And when you press the button after you put the money in there, that little thing drops out and you can go grab it. And hopefully if you get lucky, maybe once in your life you get, you get two things that fall out, right? And you shake it. You see it's like on the edge and hopefully it falls out. And you grab it. You put the money in and you expect something to come out, right? Because you've put money in. That's how we visualize God sometimes. Often as American Christians. We say, okay, God, I am giving you this Press B4. Okay, now, God, I want something from you. God, I'm giving you that. I'm reading your word like you want me to. I'm praying because you want me to. I'm coming to church because you command me to. Now I expect something in return. A true heart for God says, God, here I am. I just want you. Nothing else. Just your presence. That is the conclusion of my relationship. I want you. Mature Christianity doesn't see Jesus as a means to an end, but an end in himself. The benefit of seeking God is God. It is experiencing him, knowing him. It is not some other thing. It is not health. It is not happiness. It is not prosperity. It is not the absence of fear. Those are all byproducts. Jesus Christ is the prime product of a presence with God. I'm afraid that to most Christians, this, this is hard to grasp. And the, the easiest way I can, I can describe this idea to you is, is um, to let you guys know that I'm a, not a dog person. But I do understand that dog, a dog is man's best friend, right? Have you guys ever heard that phrase before? A dog is man's best friend. We have a cat, me and my wife. We love our cat. But there's something about our cat that seems utterly selfish. We come home, and she meets us at the door, but she doesn't meet us at the door because she loves us, okay? She meets us at the door because she wants us to pet her once or twice, give her a treat, and then she's going to leave us, right? She walks into, if we're watching TV, our cat walks into our, our, the, the room we watch TV. She walks by us, meows, rubs up against us, so we pet her, and then she walks off. She could care less if me and Amanda were to drop dead today, she'd be fine with that. A dog, however, Dogs are the best, and this is why I, I, I love dogs. Dogs are man's best friend, because the moment you get home, everything in your life could be going horrible. Everything, you could get fired from work, your kids could be mad, stuff could, could be going down in your life, but when you get home, you open the door, your dog is right there, happy to see you, jumping up in your face. You're the best person in the world to your dog. Now, is it because your dog wants something from you? I mean, maybe sometimes, but mostly it's not. Your dog just loves you. That's why a dog is man's best friend. When you wake up in the morning, your dog is licking you. Your dog's trying to get you to wake up. It's not like a cat that's scratching you because they're hungry. Your dog's, your dog's waking you up because your dog just wants to be with you. You're sleeping, and your dog goes to the, the, the foot of the bed, and he's sleeping with you uh, because the dog just loves you for you. I know that's a childish analogy, but God says, why don't you just love me for me. Why don't you just come to me for me? Why don't you seek me for me? Why don't you come to me just to be in my presence? You know you have a heart for God when you spend time with him just to spend time with him.
That's what we need this morning.